I'm Amy Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 Karacy Radio Show exclusively for this podcast. So why is a struggling movie theater chain worth as much as Cincinnati's Kroger, the largest supermarket chain in the world? Well, Steve and I dive into the frenzy driving AMC Entertainment and how you can deal with the FOMO, the fear of missing out as an investor. We also talk about how you can feel better about spending after you've worked hard and saved well and take your questions about money and retirement. Finally, Dave Hatter, a cybersecurity consultant at Intrust IT, joins me to discuss the hack of the world's largest meat processor and how ransomware attacks could impact our larger economy. If you thought the GameStop story was crazy, hold on. Here comes movie theater chain AMC. By the time you're out of traffic, you're going to know what is driving the craze behind this AMC stock and who may get hurt in the process. You're listening to Simply Money tonight. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Steve, it seems so crazy when we were first talking about GameStop because nothing like this had happened before. This is GameStop 2.0, but bigger. It is. And, and I thought GameStop was kind of stupid. And, and, you know, of course, it cratered after everybody realized, well, there's not much going on here. Why is the stock up so much? No, they just moved on to AMC Entertainment. I mean, it's the big theater chain. OK, you know, big company. A lot of people are familiar with it. Why does the stock go up twenty eight hundred percent just this <laughs> year did the company grow twenty eight hundred percent did their earnings grow twenty eight percent well let's oh, think about this in the yeah. middle of a global pandemic how many Steve how many movies did you have you seen in the past year mm, uh, I've seen zero, zero in yeah. a theater are those of you driving home tonight maybe one so how the heck is a movie theater going gangbusters like this well let's go back to the reddit forum that fueled GameStop because that's where this is starting again. Well, well, it is. And, and you know, th- this brings back memories of the, the 70s and 80s with the penny stock pump and dump things that were going on. Reddit, the, the big forum, has a, 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 a section called Wall Street Bets. And, and that's where everybody's getting together and saying, hey, let's jump on this stock. Let's jump on that stock. And they are all over AMC. Matter of fact, AMC was the number one finance-related search term on Google in the Cincinnati area. I mean, this thing is all over the place. That's why we're talking about it. So when you've got a bunch of investors that say, hey, here's a stock that we can drive up in price and make lots of money on, okay, um, they can do that with thinly traded low price stocks, and and you can have relatively small investors move the market on something like this. They can't do it on a Procter & Gamble or, or a big company like this that. This is so. not an Apple. This no, is not. Like, no. For those of you, and I think this is an important reminder, if you're thinking, okay, this is crazy, but what about my 401k? No, most of the large companies, the well-established companies, no Reddit forum could ever move the needle yeah. on, no, on a, no. a, a stock that's traded at that level. But you have these AMCs. They, they also looked at BlackBerry, right? These Almost these companies that are on their way out, that are almost obsolete, yep. right? And they're saying, let's stick it to these hedge fund managers that are shorting these companies, meaning betting that their stock is going to continue to drop. And that's how those hedge fund managers are making money. So if we can buy this all up, we can drive the price up, hedge fund managers lose money, and we get rich in the process. Going back to GameStop, there were articles all over the place, Steve, during that time of 
you know, an, a, a 20 year old who is set for life, a, you know, a gazillionaire because of it. And, and right. those stories drove more and more people onto this forum and into this way of trading. Well, yeah, yeah but there's such a huge disconnect be, between the price of the stock. And again, we're talking about AMC Entertainment, the price of the stock and the underlying value of the company. I mean, that, that, that's where that's where I have a real problem. After that's being a professional yeah, in, in this field for so many years, uh, believe it or not, the stock market, when, when people say, isn't it just a gambling uh, uh, casino anyway? Not really. No, there, there's method to the madness. There's a reason stocks have certain value because of their growth and their profitability. I mean, a share of stock represents ownership. So if that company doubles in size, doubles in profitability, eventually your share ownership will double in in value. And that's what keeps everything working. Then you get something like AMC Entertainment, where people are just driving the stock up that are are on this Reddit forum. And the, the stock, I mean, why is it as high? 66 bucks a share. Uh, lately. Okay, well, let's put this all in perspective. And the company Amy. was on the verge of bankruptcy oh, 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 just yeah. a few months let's ago. Let's talk about that a little bit. They, they, they're they not making money. And the stock is trading 66 bucks a share as a buck and a half, two bucks a share earlier this year, to, to put it all in perspective. Okay, so if the average big U.S. company trades, let's just say 16 times its earnings. In other words, the price of the stock is 16 times the profits per share Okay, so that means that that I guess AMC Entertainment is showing about $4 a share profit. No, they're losing $19 a share. This company is not in good shape. So why is the stock where it's at? It's because of it being pumped up mostly by smaller investors on Reddit. And guess what? When when the hype dies, the stock dies. So let me put it this way, right? If someone had said to you, you can buy stock in the Titanic as the Titanic (laughs) was sinking, you would be like, that's the stupidest idea ever. I have no interest in investing in something that's not going to be around. And who knows? I mean, maybe this is this is the, uh, you know, flowing the throwing the safety vest to AMC as they're going down, because now this company is worth 30 billion dollars, the market value that makes them actually have a higher market value than Procter and Gamble. Um, and here's how they did it, right? The, the price of stocks, as you mentioned, is up. And then they issued 11 million new shares of stocks, uh, kind of flooding the market with it. So you still have a, a company that probably has a very unstable business model in 2021, but all of yeah. a sudden it's worth all this money. I, I get a kick out of that. I, I mean, that's that's pretty gutsy. You know, the, the stock <laughs> is good. Okay, let's just say you're running the company or you're on the board of AMC and all of a sudden these people out of left field start driving the stock price up and you've got some shares because, you know, you're a big wig with the company and, oh, wow, I don't know what's going on here or why they love our stock, but this thing is going up and it keeps going up. Hey, Let's sell some shares while it's this this high in price because you and I both know it's not going to stay up here. And sure enough, they pulled it off. They issued a bunch of shares, 11 million new shares of stock, but at least they covered their you-know-whats by saying in in the issue issuing paperwork, our current market prices reflect market and trading dynamics unrelated to our underlying business. Let, let me translate that, Amy. That That's saying, hey, we're going to sell more shares while the stock price is high. We don't know why it's this high. It doesn't deserve to be this high, but you're welcome to buy it if you're stupid. Well, not only <laughs> I mean, that, you're welcome, you're welcome to buy it and you're going to get free popcorn. Well, there you go. That's why it's worth so much. <laughs> Extra truly, butter. 
truly AMC is saying, listen, we're going to roll out the red carpet for you investors. You're going to have access. I mean, you can have access to the CEO. You can talk to the CEO. We're going to give you free popcorn. And this Reddit forum, it's not just an online thing. They're actually messaging people on Twitter. Hey, buy AMC. And there's people on street corners in big cities saying buy AMC stock. Now, Steve, when you like go buy those places that have like a crazy person out front dressed up, like, you know, twirling something. Do you like make a hard right in there to get your taxes no, done? No, no. And, and I think that's a good reason to stay in school and get good grades. But, um, you know, in, in, in all seriousness, this, this is something that it's gamifying the stock market. And, and this is something the regulators really need to look at, Amy, because what you're looking at is a decentralized pump and dump. I mean, these people that are tweeting everybody and and getting online and social media saying, buy AMC, what they're doing is they're trying to drive the price up. And I pretty much guarantee all those people issuing those tweets and, and, and going on social media, they already bought their stock. So they want someone else to buy in to drive it higher so they can get out. Because like a Ponzi scheme, at some point when you don't have new investors coming in, if there's no foundation to the stock, if it's a company built on on a foundation of sand, the stock price will collapse to what it's it's really worth. And that number is not $65, $70 a share, not in today's market. And so I think that, you know, as you're listening tonight, and this sounds all so familiar, it sounds a, a lot like GameStop, only maybe taken to the next level. Like, what? Are, let's talk about the takeaways here for you, um, because my concern is maybe you're a smart, long-term investor and you're not going to be sucked into this, but do you have kids that are coming out of college that are that age group who are probably on this Reddit forum or who are, you know, probably hearing this left and right when they're at parties on the weekend? Because they're the kind of people that are hearing these stories. These get rich quick and they may jump into this. And so I caution you, if you've never had a conversation, hey, let's talk more about this. Have you heard about it? You know, make sure your kids understand exactly what this is. Well, and and, and in that conversation, how about talk about talking about what are the day to day price fluctuations of this stock? I, I mean, yesterday it was 66 bucks a share. At one point today, it was down by half. In other words, you put in whether it's a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a million dollars. You just lost half your money in twenty-four hours. Yeah, you know. So this is not investing. This is out and out speculating. And please Gamble. understand the difference. Absolutely, you know. So yeah, your four hundred one k more stable investments, usually mutual funds. Uh, you're playing it a lot safer. This is the play money that goes out the window if you guess wrong. So don't don't put more than then play money into it. I I mean, if you start putting serious money into something that's getting pumped up by people on street corners with signs, literally saying, buy this stock, um, you're making some pretty poor decisions. And unfortunately, there's no law against stupidity. And and that's what's driving this up. But don't you think FOMO plays in here too? Fear of missing out. If you're sure. hearing of other people who got into this in the beginning and they're 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 sharing these stories about how much they made, it's like, oh well, I want to get in on this yeah, too. Yeah, how, how come I didn't get in on this earlier? And right. sure, I, I mean, we can talk as much as we want about this is not serious. This is a speculation. This is gambling. Um, there's no reason for the stock to be here. But you know, there's somebody out there listening that says, yeah, but I made three thousand dollars yesterday on this stock. You know, so who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, you're going to have some people that they they get in, they get out, and by luck of the draw, they didn't get out after the big drop. So I, I guess there are some people making money, 
But, you know, it's it's no different than going to the casino and rolling dice and, and looking around and seeing, wow, this is a beautiful building. Oh, I guess I pay for this because I'm going to lose more than I'm going to win. That's what happens with these things. And here's an example of this, right? I mean, it's, it's so hard to make these decisions about when to get in and when to get out, right? So Mudra Capital bought eight and a half million shares um, and flipped all the shares on the same day. They made $41 million. Sounds huge from buying this AMC stock. But if they had waited just one more day, they would have made $344 million, <laughs> right? And, and these are the kinds of things that can yeah. make you create, like that can get in your head. If I had a time machine, you know? It's yes, one of exactly. Those things. But literally, and the next day they could have lost half of that. I, I mean, that's how this is this is going. It's all over the place. So, you know, and, and, and what I really worries me is this is being driven by small shareholders. I mean, you've got 3.2 million people that own, uh, uh, there's total 450 million shares outstanding. So in other words, do the math. The average shareholder owns 140 shares. Some own a lot more, some own less. But, you know, this is the 100-share guy that's, you know, putting, you know, whatever, you know, a couple hundred bucks into it, a thousand bucks into it. And there's enough of them that they've driven the price of this stock up. And, and I think those are the people that least can afford to get hurt by this. That, that's yeah. my worry. People are going to get, they're going to get hurt. Here's the Simply Money point. Keep this in mind. This is great investment advice. Be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. A lot of you saved more money than maybe you ever imagined you could save during the pandemic. Are you ready to get out there and spend again? Because this is something we actually see. The world opening up but then you might have some issues spending again. Steve, to so some people it sounds crazy, but this is actually a real issue. It's really interesting. All of the plan updates I've been doing over the last few months are, are with people who almost to a person say, yeah, I saved quite a bit last year. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go anywhere. Right. Yeah, well, you know? Yeah, no. So the savings rates are skyrocketing. And, and you know, the interesting thing, Amy, is um, saving rates are high, but they're not going down that much. People are still, even with the economy reopening, they're saving more than they have in a long time. Yeah. So last April, Americans were saving 12% of your incomes, right? Uh, it's what we saw um, sign or in April of 2020. So April of this year, sorry, we saved 15% of our incomes. April of last year, 34% because we couldn't spend that money. In in well, okay, we're at half of where we were before. That kind of stinks. Yet at the same time, pre-pandemic levels were somewhere between 7 and 9%. So we're still double where yeah. we were going into this pandemic. I'm so glad actually to see that number, Steve, because I think that means collectively maybe we learned something here. Yeah, Americans have always been really good at a couple things, not saving much and going into debt. And and yes. I don't, you know, I, I, I'd like to be an optimist. I'd like to think this is a trend that's going to continue uh, forward and, and people will continue to save more. We'll see, you know, but it, it's really interesting that over the past year, People have saved a lot of money, and now with the economy reopening, you know, they're, they're okay, we're starting to spend, but they're being cautious. And I, I run plans all the time where, okay, you, you've done well, you saved well, and one of the hardest things to get a saver to do is start to spend. 
And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I would like to see it's people... It's like they can't flip that switch. Well, you can't. And you're not going to change when, when this has been ingrained in, in your... your it's part of your DNA if you're yeah. a saver that just because you retired doesn't mean that you're going to stop being a saver. Matter of fact, you might even be a little tighter with money because you're afraid of, of running out. That's the value of a plan is we can run different budget scenarios and, and okay, you're you're in no danger. Matter of fact, I did that this morning. You're in no danger of running out of money. Matter of fact, you can spend an extra thirty, forty thousand a year and still not be in any danger of running out of money. Um, maybe enjoy yourself a little bit. And that's that's the that's the tough part. I mean there's a lot of studies about, okay, if I'm if I'm gonna go on a trip or how am I going to spend this money, what should I do? You know, what what are your choices? How how much thought do you put into uh, all right, let's change a little bit. Do you Start flying first class when you go on a trip. I, I mean, that's a good baby step to enjoy. But how the does experience. that conversation go, right? Like, and I and I know you you talk to this, people about this. Like, so you say, okay, you, try flying first class. Are yeah. the are, are they able to? Are those investors able to flip that switch and say, yes, first class, yeah. absolutely. Some, but most, no. I, yeah. I mean, again, you know, if you're a saver, you're a saver, and that's for other people to fly first class. It seems to be a waste of money. Three hundred in coach or eleven hundred dollars in first class. Well, that's you know seven hundred dollars for a meal. You know, yeah. and a couple of drinks. So, but you know, it, it, it's it, it's a nice way to pamper yourself. I, I just think, and I, I've been reading some articles lately. I just think that it's a good idea as we're coming out of the, this crazy pandemic year. Mm-hmm. That you know, if you want to start spending a little bit more money, how about experiences? I, I call them remember when stories. I mean, remember yes. when we did that trip? I just got back from Bryce Canyon. My son ran a fifty-mile race at Bryce Canyon. Finished finished well, and it became an experience where my sister came up from Houston with her kid. Uh, the in-laws, uh, my, my son's um, uh, mother and father-in-law, were out there all supporting them, watching them. And, and, yeah, I looked at the money, and it wasn't real cheap to fly out there, but that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. He's not going to do it again. And, and, you know, to go out there and, yeah, cost a little bit of money, but now we're going to talk about remember how beautiful Bryce Canyon was and, and that race JP ran, and I can't, race he yeah, ran. can't believe he yeah. did 50 miles. And it's an experience, and, and I think everybody should make a list. I, I mean, just, you know, the things that you might not ever do again, kind of a bucket list, but I, I hate calling it that. And, and what can we do that's going to be something we're going to remember? Research shows that you are happier if you're going to spend your money on experiences rather than stuff. And you know it. You've bought things before that you thought were going to make you happy and this was going to be the perfect thing, whatever it was. And it gets tossed aside in six months like everything else does. But those remember when stories you're still talking about to that point, you know, years later. I took my son to the Reds game last night and he made the point to me recently that like his older sister always got to do the cool stuff because she was older. And so, I took him and we got really nice seats that I wouldn't normally take him to, but I was there and I kept thinking, oh my goodness, I wish I could bottle this because everything was, mom, this is amazing. Mom, you know, look who I just talked to. One of the players just threw me a ball. He was, he was ecstatic. And when I was putting him to bed last night, um, we talked about the fact that we will always remember this. And and I think that made it so worth it. So just keep that in mind. If you're going to get out there and start spending again, it's not about racking up a credit card bill. It is what are the things that are truly going to pay off time and time again, we see it being 
including the trips, right? Like yeah. you just took last yeah. weekend. Um, if you love music, the concerts. You, you were also just talking about your favorite concerts sure. that you had been to, right? These are the things that you end up remembering, and therefore you don't mind spending maybe a little more money on them. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to go see Marshall Tucker in August, and and you know bands that yeah you know, I grew up with. They're not going to be around forever, you, you know. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's let's get in a concert. I love live music, so let's let's, you know, as we're starting to get out again, let's see some of the bands that uh, maybe are on one of their last tours before they're not touring anymore. Great idea. I'm going to see Billy Joel. I'm so excited about that. We also see that some of you at this time are ready to give back. Donor-advised funds um, are a great way that you can do that. If you are looking to give some money and you've got some in reserves, great thing to look at. Here's a Simply Money point. You can spend and still be financially secure. The key is to make sure you have a plan to work off of. Every week we crack open the Simply Money mailbag. This is where we answer the questions you send us at asksimplymoney at allworthfinancial.com. First question tonight comes from Randy, who lives in Newport. He has $400,000 in retirement, and he's also counting on a $2,000 monthly pension. He wants to know, is this enough to retire in five years, or am I going to need to find another job? Well, you know, and, and I don't know how old Randy is. I yes. guess he's not 20, but he sounds like he's at least 50, 55. Um, I, I'm going to simplify this. We call the show Simply Money. And I'm, I'm going to call this a guideline, not a rule. But if you're ever wondering how much you can take out of an, an account as a distribution rate, how much can you pull out a year without running out of money, a number you might want to start with is 4%. In other words, if Randy's got $400,000, which seems like a lot of money, but if you multiply that by 4%, you come up with 16000 So, Randy, maybe you can take out sixteen grand a year. Maybe you should use 3%, 3.5% if you want to play it a little bit safer. But, you know, ba- basically you're looking at twelve to 16000 a year you can pull out of that account now on top of your $2,000 monthly pension. So, you know, today that's $40,000. If you wait five years... Maybe that four hundred thousand is worth six hundred, and you can pull twenty four thousand at four percent out per year. Okay, that's forty forty eight thousand dollars that that you're talking about. If you can live on that, good for you. But if you're going out there to buy health insurance, that alone, health insurance, Amy, that's going to draw what twelve fourteen grand a year. Yes, a, a, out of that money that you're drawing off of investments and and pensions. So now, okay, we're down a little bit lower. Can you live off of that? If the answer is no, um, okay, I guess you're going to work or welcome to Walmart or do you want fries with that? Whatever the case is. you know. Randy, but, there is no one-size-fits-all no, retirement number. I know you want a formula. I know you want a number. I have seen people live easily off half a million dollars in retirement, and yeah. I have seen people struggle. It's about your spending habits. But this is not a... $400,000 sounds like a lot. Feel good with that. I'm done. This is a crunch the numbers. Look at how yeah. much you spend, right? Know your budget. Know it inside and out. What happens if there's an emergency, an unexpected medical bill, whatever it yep. is? Are you going to have the money for that? A lot of things to think through here on an individual basis, right, before you come up with your answer. Next question tonight from Andrea, who lives in Hyde Park. What's the best way to save for my grandchildren's future? What a great grandma. Um, I'm not certain they're going to go to college. I'm sure this is a conversation you have pretty regularly, Steve. Oh, all the time. And, and as a grandparent myself, I've, yeah, I've gone through true. this question. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, does Andrea 
Do you want your grandkids to go to college? Do you want to incentivize them a little bit? I love 529 plans. 529 plans are state plans. And if you open up a 529 plan in Ohio, it doesn't mean the kid has to go to an Ohio school. They can go wherever they want. But it's a form of investment that you as a grandparent can open up an account for your grandchildren and put pretty much as much money as you want into those accounts. And it grows tax-free and the distributions are tax-free if that grandchild wants to go to college and uses that money for a college expense. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The grandparent has control over the account. So if one grandchild doesn't go to college and the other does go to college and grandma or grandpa says, you know what, I'm only going to use this money for the kids that go to college, you can take as the, the owner of that account, the grandparent can move the money from the one kid's account that isn't going to college to the grandkids' account that is going to college they're and say, super flexible. oh, they're great. You can do whatever you want with it. So it's it's an awesome tool for saving for college. And if they don't use it for college and you want to let them keep the money, they just pay tax on, on the money when they take it out plus a, a penalty. But it's not that big a deal since it was growing tax-deferred that whole time. Yeah, I agree. I'm a huge fan of 529. Yeah. Something definitely worth looking at as a grandparent or a parent. The world's largest meat supplier, beef supplier, is hacked. Why should you care? Well, there could be a much bigger issue at play here. Joining us tonight, Dave Hatter, our tech expert. Um, Dave, you know, on the surface of this, okay, it's 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 just a, a meat supplier, but there are much larger ramifications here. Yeah, if you think about it, Amy, this comes on the, the tail of several uh, critical infrastructure attacks. You had the Oldsmar water plant in Florida. We've recently had the Colonial Pipeline, and this is just another example where malware, in this case ransomware, has been used to shut down um, five plants plus some, uh, some off-site areas for JBS, the world's largest meat producer. So they've been working hard to get back online. They said that their backups weren't hit because backups are one of the most important things to have in the event of getting hit with ransomware, a good offline backup that you can restore so you can come back up without having to worry about paying the ransom. They expect to have everything back online today, but it's just another example of how these attacks not only are potentially costing organizations a lot of money, but impacting our daily lives as our physical and digital worlds become increasingly interconnected. So let me ask you this. Do you think they they did pay the ransom or because they had the backups, uh, you think they were in good shape and that's how they were able to get up and running again so quickly? Because I think they were just offline for maybe a day. Yeah, they, uh, they announced on Sunday over Memorial Day weekend they got hit with this, and then they're and theoretically back today. So the good news is they are able to get back up quickly. I haven't been able to find anything so far that indicates what the ransom demand was, nor that they paid the ransom. And it's interesting because, you know, over time we found out that it may be illegal to pay a ransom. The FBI and other organizations have warned against paying ransoms because, A, you may not get your data back, and B, it just incentivized further attacks, right? But last year, the Department of Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control said that if you pay the ransom to a sanctioned person or a jurisdiction that's sanctioned, and you have to look into exactly what that means, and if you get hit with ransomware and you're considering paying the ransom, you really need to talk to an attorney, um, but it might be illegal to pay the ransom. So, you know, it, that's one of the reasons why it's so critical to try to install patches and make sure you have anti-malware software and so forth to try to block these things on the front end but the best defense ultimately is a good backup. And so far from everything I've been able to find about this, 
it appears they've been able to restore from their backups fairly quickly. And if that is ultimately how this plays out, it just shows once again why that's so incredibly important. So how do you think this happened? I mean, is this is this um, Joe Smith in the accounting department thought it was a joke from his friend and so he clicked on it and now the whole system was infected? Like, you know, or is this some kind of backdoor hacking where there was an issue with the whole system? Like, is, is there any way to know that at this point? Uh, there's so far they haven't said exactly how they think it occurs. Eventually, I'm sure they'll be able to figure that out through some through some forensics. Um, but it's probably one of those two mechanisms. The most common way people get ransomware is some type of phishing attack, like you uh, started out with there. People click a link, ransomware gets downloaded, and it silently runs in the background encrypting data and possibly exfiltrating data, so you're more likely to want to pay the ransom because they'll say, okay, you need to pay this much ransom to decrypt your data so you can use it again. And, oh, by the way, we stole all the data we encrypted and we'll release it, which could contain trade secrets or anything, right? Anything could be in the data that they stole as further leverage. So phishing type of attacks are one way to get in. Another way they'll often get in is they'll find open ports. They're software tools anyone can get a hold of. They'll scan the Internet. They'll look for certain ports that are open in your network that would allow them access things like RDS. And they'll attempt to infiltrate those ports, drop their ransomware, and they love to do this over holiday weekends because they know people won't be in the office and it'll be a lot less likely to be caught before it can inflict maximum damage. So very likely one of those two mechanisms. Um, so far, I haven't seen anything that's indicative of how they got in yet. But it does also appear to be connected to Russia yet again. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We are joined by Dave Hatter, our tech expert, talking about these ransomware attacks, right? Holding companies hostage um, by seizing up their computer systems. Dave, when we talk about this, I think it's easy to be like, oh, well, that happened with this pipeline. And yeah, I mean, gas prices went up in North Carolina and on the East Coast, but not a huge impact here. Or, well, meat supplies, maybe I'm going to pay a little more for ground beef the next time. Why do you think the average person needs to be concerned about this? Well, you as an individual could get hit with ransomware. That's how this all started out, but the bad guys have gotten much smarter and realized that the more impactful a company is on society, the more likely you are to pay the ransom. You know, it'd be one thing to inflict Dave Hatter's PC with ransomware. Maybe I'll pay, but how, my pockets aren't that deep. How much can you get out of me? Right? It's another thing to hit like the corner. $7. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds about <laughs> right for me too. You know, the corner car repair shop. Same kind of thing, not deep pockets, you're not going to get a big score. You know, if you hit a big company, let's say a P&G or a Kroger, they have much deeper pockets if they're willing to pay. But if you can go after companies that will have a societal impact, the power grid, um, water processing plants, food processing plants like this, where when they're shut down, they not only potentially will cause the price of those goods to go up, but potentially create a significant problem in society. Like if people were poisoned through the, uh, the lye that was added to the water in the Oldsmar plant in Florida, you know, thankfully that was stopped. You know, they're gonna go after these kind of targets, either A, because they're nation state actors and they have more of a cyber war type of mindset, or B, they know these organizations are much more likely to pay. They can't afford to be down. There is a societal impact and they're able to get much larger ransoms from these organizations, assuming that they haven't taken adequate steps like JBS appears to have and can restore their systems quickly. So what can we do, right? I mean, what can individuals do? Is there anything we can do? 
Well, that's an important question. And yes, as an individual, there's a lot of things you can do both to protect yourself, your family and the organization you work for. And the first is to understand these attacks are on the rise. One ransomware gang last year claimed to have made $100 million. Darkside, the ransomware gang behind the Colonial Pipeline attack claimed to have made $90 million in, in 10 months. And that's an Gosh. enormous amount of money. So yeah. these attacks are likely to get worse before they get better. They know that people think this will never happen to me. You know, I'm, a, I'm not a target. But as you pointed out, Amy, you get a joke, you get some email. It might tell you, oh, hey, your bank account is on hold. You need to take this uh, you know, urgent action. There's been a recent scam around Fifth Third um, related to these kinds of emails. That Fifth Third has said this is a scam. You get that email. You enter some credentials to access your account and unfreeze it or whatever they're telling you to do. And now they have the credentials to access your network or you click a link and it downloads some ransomware, at which point, you know, you are the place that they they were able to infiltrate to get into your organization's network and inflict this kind of damage. So being skeptical, making sure that you're not clicking links you don't understand, verifying things out of band. If you get an email that appears to be from Fifth Third or whatever organization and you think you need to take some action, you need to go out of band. Pick up the phone and call them. Don't use the numbers or the links in that email. Go on your own, research that organization, and give them a call. And frankly, they'll appreciate the heads up that there's some kind of scam going on in their name. So it's being skeptical and being careful and understanding that you can take a bite out of this type of crime by not making it easy for the bad guys to get in your network. Well, and it kind of stinks, right, that you have to be so vigilant, but that's just where we are. I even got, um, because I'm working remotely right now, I get my voicemails that come to work through my computer. And uh, so I just get the, you know, the audio file of it. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I got one that didn't look like the normal one. I sent it to our IT department and they were like, oh, yeah, no, good thing you didn't click on this. And I'm like, my gosh. I so easily could have, uh, and that's kind of how vigilant you have to be. If something looks different than it normally does, uh, you're going to have to have, you know, you're just going to have to raise the red flag and figure out, is, is this something I need to be worried about? Because uh, you don't want to be the Joe Smith in accounting that opens up, right, whatever it is, and all of a sudden the whole company <laughs> shut down. Yeah, I mean, that could be a real career-limiting move for you and might yeah. put your company out of business. Uh, you're exactly right. You got to be extra skeptical. You got to be extra vigilant. Um, the bad guys know with people working from home, in many cases, those remote environments are a lot less secure than a corporate network. Maybe you don't have all the same tools and perimeter defenses and so forth. And that's one of the reasons the FBI has said they've seen a big spike in, in re reported cyber crimes is because you have people working remotely. The bad guys know this. They change their tactics constantly. And I, just a reminder, they're making enormous amounts of money. They're raking in the dough. And how often do you hear about prosecutions of these people? And the answer is almost never. So protect yourself. you got to take this stuff seriously. you got to be skeptical. Yeah, protect yourself, protect your family, protect the company that you work for. Great advice tonight from Dave Hatter, our tech expert. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. If you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend if you think they might benefit from it as well. At All Worth Financial, we help you retire better.